Please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. We'll be continuing our series on Genesis this morning. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler, long I stood, and looking down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Life is made up of choices, and some of those choices are so crucial. The outworking of such a choice is brought before us in our passage today. First, though, you have the reiteration, reiteration of God's promise to Abraham about a son to be born to Sarah. In verse 1, the Lord appears to Abraham. The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. He saw them and ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. This is a, a theophany an appearance of God in human form. One of these three men was the Lord himself, probably the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, taking human form or assuming human form temporarily prior to actually becoming a human when he was born of the Virgin Mary. You have a number of such theophanies in the Old Testament. In this one, he eats with... Abraham, and we're reminded of the scripture about the Lord supping or eating with us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. God invites us to just such a relationship as he had with Abraham. And he reiterates this promise of a son. Verse 10 He said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. God had promised him this before, but he reiterates it now. But Sarah reacts in unbelief. Verse 10, Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah are old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also, I'm too old to have a child. She laughs, ridicules the idea. And the Lord hears her and rebukes her. She must be brought into believing conformity along with Abraham. Abraham believed God. In uh, verse 13, the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a great statement. 
You notice God directs her away from herself and her ability and the circumstances to himself and his power and his faithfulness. I have promised. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Whatever you're facing, whatever your circumstances, it may seem very difficult, but remember that great statement. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you have a child who is wayward. And maybe you have a mate uh, who you're having real struggles with in your marriage. And maybe your job is very difficult. Is anything too hard for the Lord? She is brought into faith by this rebuke, apparently, because Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews, refers back to this, and he says... Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful who had promised. Well, as the reiteration of the promise, you have the revelation to Abraham concerning Sodom at this point in verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? God was going to judge Sodom. And he reveals this to Abraham. He was judging Sodom for its sin. He says that its cry had come up before him. Verse 20. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. God was going to judge Sodom because of its wickedness. What about America? Billy Graham said, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll see their wickedness in a minute. Of course, one great characteristic of it was their homosexuality. Think of the militant homosexuality in our nation. Many cities of our nation, if you do not bow to the homosexual community, you cannot be elected to public office. Most powerful lobby in our nation, the homosexual lobby. The drug epidemic in our nation. The pornography that's flooding our nation. Uh, the heavy metal, uh, the occult movement, uh, Satanism. Uh, abortion. In the Old Testament, it says that innocent blood, when it's shed, defiles the land. And that defiling can only be removed by the blood of those that shed it. Capital punishment. Think of all the innocent blood that has flowed in our land. Far more people... Innocent people murdered in our land since the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973 
than Stalin and Hitler put together. Murder. The judgment that was going to fall on Sodom. He tells the reason for taking Abraham into his confidence. Abraham was his friend and Abraham would be faithful to train his children to obey God. In verse 18, seeing Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. In 19, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Well, we have the reiteration of the promise, the revelation to Abraham, the intercession of Abraham for Sodom. Abraham begins to pray to the Lord about Sodom or to beseech him, to make request. In verse 22, the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. In a sense, the Lord stood before Abraham. Three men appeared at Abraham's tent. Two of those men were angels. The third man was the Lord himself in human form. And as the two angels leave and go towards Sodom, the Lord remains. In a sense, it's an invitation. Abraham, was there something that you wanted to ask me? Yes, there was. This is the first case of serious intercession that you find in Scripture. And uh, it's interesting to see the argumentation on which Abraham bases his intercession. Verse 23, Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God, you surely will do the right thing. It wouldn't look right if you were to destroy the whole city, including the righteous. Destroying the righteous along with the wicked. He argues from God's character. Of course, he's concerned about Lot, his nephew, who's down in Sodom. And he's concerned about the people of Sodom. He hated their sin, but loved the sinner. He starts with a prayer that uh, the righteous might be saved, and he winds up praying that the whole city would be saved for the sake of the righteous. He begins to suggest a number, 50, righteous. And uh, then he begins progressing, moving the number down as he explores, probes with the Lord. Verse 26, the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken it upon me to speak unto the Lord which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty. Wilt thou destroy all the city for a lack of five? He said, If I find forty and five, I will not destroy it. Abraham probes on down to ten righteous men in the city. 
God says, I will spare it if there are ten there. You have the investigation of Sodom by the angels. Chapter 19, verse 1. God knows the details, all the gory details of the city, but investigation precedes condemnation. He sends his angels to seek out any redeeming qualities in the city. And as they come into the city, they are first welcomed by Lot. Lot, Abraham's nephew. It says in verse 1 of chapter 19, There came two angels to Sodom at evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. Tarry all night, wash your feet. You shall rise up early and go your ways. They said, Nay, we'll abide in the street all night. He pressed them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered his house. He made a feast. Well, uh, you notice where Lot is. He sits in the gate. That's the place... Uh, of authority and leadership. Back in chapter 13, we find that Abraham and Lot were together and their, their livestock had grown so greatly that there wasn't enough room for the two of them to graze. And so Abraham says to Lot, Lot, we need to part company because of our flocks. You take your choice of the land and I'll take what's left. Lot looks around and he looks down toward the Jordan and the plain there and Sodom, and he saw it was well watered and uh, very rich, very fertile land. He said, I'll choose that. And it says he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom. As a matter of fact, he's a leader, apparently, in Sodom. You notice the progression. And I can imagine Abraham talking to his nephew and saying, Lot, are you sure you want to go down that way? You know, that's a very wicked city. I'm afraid for your children. And Lot's saying, well, Uncle, uh, it's okay. I'll be able to provide better for my family. And uh, there'll be influential people they can meet, and I'm sure the Lord will look after my children. Too much concern for the material. Too little concern for the spiritual willing to risk his family, probably thinking he was doing his family a favor. Not attuned to the booby traps in this world, the awful evil about us, the allure of it. Sodom, in a sense, uh, a great picture of what the world offers, a standing example of worldly promise. But we'll see how the story turns out. And in this case, we're able to trace it along. Well, we see his welcome by Lot. Notice his welcome by the people there, the welcome of the angels by the people of the city. Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men who came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And they mean know them sexually. And Lot went out of the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. 
Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. They said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he must needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men, the angels, put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Well, we see they're welcomed by the men of Sodom, and we see what society in Sodom was like. This early in the scriptures, we have homosexuality condemned. And you find it condemned similarly in the New Testament in Romans chapter 1, great detail. Of course, there are always those who will come along and say, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality and uh, they didn't really want to have homosexual relations. They just wanted to get to know them better. Of course, that's totally out of character with him offering his daughters to them which wasn't an appropriate thing at all to do, but you pick up the, the strength in that culture if a man had come into your home that you were to protect him. Still, obviously, we're dealing here with gross immorality. No explanation other than that satisfies the case. But note also that Lot, even in his backslidden, compromising condition, what we could call a worldly Christian or even a carnal Christian, Notice he's very different from the people of that culture. He hates their deeds. He's nothing at all like them. Even a carnal Christian is very different from a non-Christian and from the world. And if he isn't different, he's not a Christian. Over in the book of Second Peter, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Lot was distressed by the filthy lives of the lawless men of Sodom. He tormented his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. The reason he was different is that when a person becomes a true believer, today we'd say a Christian, something has happened in his life. The Holy Spirit lives within him and changes him so that he desires to do God's will and, and his conscience kills him when he goes against God's will. And uh, he can't accept the things that other people commonly accept. He can't accept the kind of filth that characterizes our society today that most of the people of our society do accept. He can't accept it. His righteous soul is totally, constantly vexed, distressed by the filthy lives of the lawless men around him. If you are a real Christian, if you have come to Jesus Christ, acknowledged his claim to be God the Son, who became man, and believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, paid for your sins. And then you've surrendered your will to him and put your trust in him to forgive you a sinner. If you've genuinely done that, he is in your life and you'll be different. You may not be nearly the Christian you ought to be, but you'll be different from the world around you. Faith without works is dead. If there hasn't been a change in your life where you're grieved by the way of life of the society around us, then you're just kidding yourself about being a Christian. 
God changes people when He comes into their lives. Now we see the welcome. Notice the warning. Verse 12, The men said unto Lot, Hast thou any here besides, son-in-law, thy sons, thy daughters, whatever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. But he lingers still. Verse 16, While he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought them forth and set him without the city. Why does he linger? Well, all of his investments are there. Maybe he doesn't take seriously enough the fact that it's going to be destroyed. And you have then the destruction of Sodom by God. In verse 24, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities that grew upon the ground. It rains down fire and brimstone, it says. Well, these cities have been discovered by archaeologists. They find that they were destroyed by fiery brimstone type of substance. One writer, J.W. Dawson, talks about the fact that uh, in his survey of the area uh, that there were great beds of bituminous brimstone, or excuse me, limestone that are in the vicinity and a huge fault uh, that inflammable gases go up out of the fault and uh, very easily could carry a lot of this up in the air and then come raining down. That may be how the Lord destroyed it uh, in some fashion similar to that. Verse 26, but his wife looked back from behind him. She'd been warned not to look back, and she became a pillar of salt. Apparently, the same substance falling on the city falls on her and makes a heap out of her. That look back was a straw in the wind. It showed where her heart was. She had a secret love for the world, and so she's destroyed with the world. She's a standing symbol of the person who ostensibly is out of the world, but their heart is still in the world, and what happens to them. She was different from Lot, although she was married to Lot. She wasn't as grieved with the things that went on in the city as he was. Uh, she found herself a lot more at home there. Maybe that's why he moved into the town. She sought to serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. Jesus said in Luke seventeen thirty-two, Remember Lot's wife. Well, Abraham had interceded the day before. Early in the morning, he goes out and he looks across down the valley toward Sodom. Verse 27. Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, where he had interceded. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. Behold, lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Think of how he felt. You know, that's how all Christians are going to feel one day as they watch the world be judged by God and they watch friends and loved ones perish. We'll all feel like Abraham felt. Derek Kidner in his commentary says, This is a superb study of the two aspects of judgment. 
the cataclysmic judgment that suddenly falls and catches everyone unprepared in the city. And the gradual judgment on the family of Lot as his family slowly deteriorates. You see, the pull of the world, everything has to be evaluated by how the world pulls on us. The dangers we expose ourselves and our families to if we're not careful. It's one thing to go to Sodom as a missionary. It's another thing to be a part of it for the wrong reasons. Well, Lot was a man who made a choice. Look at the result. The nature of sin, little by little, through a series of wrong choices, people get in a situation where they're locked in sin. The men of Sodom, they weren't born perverts. The city didn't start off that way. But choice by choice, it became like that. You know, a few years ago, the Supreme Court made a choice. In the United States, they chose to let pornography go, to let it flood the markets. And look at where it is today. And look at all of the child abuse that's come out of it, the broken homes, the families. We talk about poverty in America. You know the cause of poverty in America, don't you, by and large? Single families headed by women whose husbands have gone off with somebody else. And that's directly related to that Supreme Court decision. No way it isn't related. And then the Supreme Court made another decision, one little choice. That a woman could kill her child if she wanted to. That was the choice. If you said a woman can kill a two-year-old baby, is that murder? A one-year-old baby? A ten-month-old baby? Nine months? Eight? Seven? Where does it cease to be a baby? Boy, I tell you what. The argument a woman has a right to do what she wants to with her own body makes me sick. We're not talking about her body. We're talking about a baby. The Supreme Court said it's okay. They made a choice. And now we kill a million and a half babies a year in this country. Let's learn about those choices. Which way we're pitching our tent? What about your choice? Which of the characters here are you like? Are you like Lot, Lot half-hearted Christian? Christian compromising, Christian willing to risk your family in various ways to get ahead? Vexed with the things you see and yet part of it? Are you like Lot's wife? Secret love of the world, just playing at being a Christian. Not really in tune with Christians, thinking I'm being extreme because I say abortion is murder when it obviously is. How do you react when I say that? Are you like the men of Sodom? Some of you here would be homosexual. Well, we love you. We hate what you do. All of us deviated in terms of sex, one way or the other. I deviated the other way. But I had to face it as sin. I had to say that's wrong for me to deviate from God's standard. And I'll repent and I'll quit doing that. And you have to do the same thing. And it's tougher for you. And we understand that. We have some help. We have a group called Living Waters. It meets here every week. And there's a fellow that our church and others support, Tom Nelson. 
who has a ministry to homosexuals. And we'd urge you, get with Tom. Let us help. But repent. Don't justify it. Make a choice, the right choice. Of course, there's a sense in which, as Jonathan Edwards said, the great Princeton theologian, that while you're out of Christ, you're in Sodom. All of us are either in Sodom or in Christ. Are you in Sodom? Have you never really committed your life to Christ? Really surrendered your will? Has he changed your life? Are you like Abraham, walking with God, really concerned about the world, interceding, interceding for our nation and for individuals, praying that God would spare? You know, this is really encouraging. Had there been ten righteous men in that city of Sodom, the combination of Abraham's praying and those ten righteous men, God would have spared Sodom. How many righteous men need to be in America and how much intercession? Are we interceding? Are we spreading our faith? We can save America in that sense if we'll intercede. What about it? Are you part of our prayer meetings or Wednesday morning here or the Saturday morning meetings? Let's get serious about prayer. Make such a difference. We make choices, don't we? Every day. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Let us pray. Which road are you taking with your family? Which road are you taking in your own life? Who are you like? Are you like Mrs. Lot? Are you like the Sodomites? Are you like Abraham? Who are you like? What choice do you need to make? Maybe you've been pitching your tent towards Sodom. You need to retreat. You need to get out of Sodom. Maybe God's showing you where you've placed the material far ahead of the spiritual. In the use of your time. In the use of your money. The use of your life. If God's calling you to turn, to repent, do so right now. If God's convicted you that you, in your heart, you've been really in love with the world and not truly a Christian, acknowledge it to Him. If you need to be involved in interceding with a group more for our nation and for other people, the spread of the faith. Make a decision. Make a choice to do that. If you've never committed your life to Christ, start there right now. You can make that choice today. Pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, I'm like the people of Sodom. I'm out of Christ. I want to be in you. I want you in me. I purpose to obey you. And I trust you as my Savior who died for my sins, come into my life and change me. Amen.